In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our sermon text today is from 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 1 to 16, and also the seventh commandment. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, and he is praying. He's praying that not my will be done, but yours be done. He prays that the Father's will would be done over his. After all, he's not looking after himself. He's looking for us. He's acting concerned for us. If there's no other way to save us, he will go through with it. His focus is on loving us, to loving his neighbor, caring for his neighbor, and he's willing to give his life for us. His focus is not on serving his own desires, but on serving the Father's will. But that is not the case with sinners. They are concerned for themselves with looking out for themselves. Their focus is on serving their own will. Just consider King Ahab and his wife, Jezebel. God's word declares that King Ahab did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He was worse than any of the previous kings. His idolatry, his departure from God's word topped them all. He married Jezebel, the Phoenician princess. He didn't marry an Israelite wife. He had a foreign wife who had foreign gods. And he followed her into the worship of those foreign gods. He introduced the worship liturgy of Tyre in Israel. I mean, this would have been considered cutting-edge stuff. Tyre, this powerhouse country, this city of renown. This is where it's at. They have got the, the, the goods. They know how to worship. It's relevant. It's on topic. It's tolerant. Melkart, the Phoenician Baal, Jezebel's national idol, became the officially endorsed God in Israel, the protected religion of King Ahab. He was all about this new worship, new God. And they mixed this religion with the worship of the one true God. They didn't just adopted and pushed God's worship aside. No, they, they took the foreign worship and they mixed it up with the worship that they had been told to do for Yahweh, for the God of Israel. This is called syncretism. When you mix up what God has and what God has given with another religion. After all, you can reason like like people do today, there are lots of different paths, but they all lead to God as long as you practice your religion sincerely. See, they had 
these different paths. All these things, all these paths and religions were tolerated. Except, of course, for the pure worship of the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That worship, no, that was not tolerated. Because if you wanted to worship Yahweh, the great I am, in the way that you were to worship him, well, that wasn't allowed. You just forget it. Because that's too exclusive. And, and it wouldn't be tolerated by the everything is tolerated kind of people. I mean, God said that only he, there's no other gods before me. That's just too exclusive. You need to go to Jerusalem to offer your sacrifices. That's just too exclusive. Now, I would call such a position like this intolerant, but I could hear Ahab point out that he's very tolerant. Not only is Baal worship being accepted, so is the worship of Asherah, the female consort of Baal, the female queen idol. He supports setting up Asherah poles because he's not sexist or intolerant. He doesn't only insist on male gods, but buys into the pagan idea of worship. I saw evidence of this, this worship, when I went and saw an exhibit on the Dead Sea Scrolls. And you could see some of the artifacts that have been recovered that indicate that the Israelites were worshiping these other gods. And to top it all off, Ahab made political, political alliances that the Lord had forbidden. God had said, do not make this alliance with this people. Ahab didn't listen. God had said, don't make agreements with these other nations, but that's what he did. So, so perhaps it's not surprising that after transgressing God's commands in these ways, he also steals from his neighbor. It begins with coveting. He sees his neighbor's vineyard right next to his own property. It's in the perfect spot for Ahab to plant a vegetable garden. You know, I know there are lots of benefits from eating more vegetables and less red meat. We hear it often. Kids are obese. What better example could the king set for the children of Samaria than to establish his own vegetable garden? And what better place than a plot of land right next to your house? Who wants fresh vegetables out in the countryside away from your house? Better to have them right where you could keep an eye on it. So Ahab makes an offer that Naboth can't Refuse. Why don't you give me your vineyard and I'll plant carrots, peas, spinach, squash, gourds, green beans, and so on. Your land is so close to my house, it would be so convenient for me and I'll get you an even better vineyard. Or if you'd rather, 
I'll buy it from you for its market value. And although I'm sure the offer was tempting, Naboth refused. He said, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father. 1 Kings 21, verse 3. Naboth recognized that this was the land allotted to his family by God. God had given it to him to take care of it. He could not sell all rights to it. But Ahab sulks. He goes home, lays on his bed, and won't eat food. He pouts like a little child, and then, and then Jezebel walks in. She finds him pouting, and upon finding out why, she reminds him that he is the king of Israel. He's in charge. So stop pouting and eat because she will take care of things and make sure he gets his vegetable garden. She writes letters in Ahab's name with the king's own royal seal to the leaders and elders who live in Naboth's city. She instructs them to set Naboth up, to call for a fast because there has been a great crime committed. Everybody's to gather together and take action. And two witnesses would need to be placed by Naboth who will make accusations. So the citizens gather. They know they need to act to remove the evil from among them. They must purify Israel and so they come together. Naboth is placed in a prominent place. And then these two worthless fellows level an accusation. David is a blasphemer. He has cursed God. He has cursed his royal majesty, King Ahab. And so in accordance with the law, the assembly convicts David, takes him outside the city and throws stones at him. Hit with rocks the size of tennis balls and basketballs, he is put to death. After all, they don't want God's wrath to come down on them for not addressing the sin here. They want to show God that they keep his law and don't tolerate such behavior. The only problem is that most of the people have been duped while the rest were complicit in murder. Once the deed was done and Jezebel hears about it, she announces the good news to Ahab. Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. 1 Kings 21, verse 15. Now Ahab could fill out some legal paperwork, contact his attorneys, and take possession of Naboth's vineyard. And as far as the average person was concerned, there wasn't anything wrong here. I mean, you can't go around cursing God and the king and expect to get away with it. To the average citizen, this was justice. Naboth got what he deserved. But you and I know it was a trick. The witnesses were liars, probably received a bribe. Maybe it was around 30 pieces. Or maybe it was for a future favor. 
In any case, they did it so the king could get what he wanted. But despite Ahab and Jezebel's undercover operation, their sin was not hidden, nor do they escape punishment for it. The Lord dealt with the king through Elijah. Elijah came and spoke God's word to him. Just as Ahab shows up at the vineyard to receive his unjust deserts, Pastor Elijah shows up to proclaim God's judgment on Ahab. He has a sermon of law for Ahab. Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. God is serious about stealing. He forbids it, whether it's petty theft or grand larceny. And this account of Ahab serves as a warning to us to stop our stealing. And what have you stolen? You worked 30 hours but got paid for 40. The cashier mistakenly gave you $10 in change when you should only have received five. And you kept the extra five. You promised to do a job using top-notch materials, but instead you installed shabby, worthless stuff. You failed to report your proper income to the IRS. And then, then there's the biggest theft of all and the most common. You even try to steal divinity for yourself. Yes, that's right. Divinity doesn't belong to you. Yet you want it for yourself as if you own it. You act like your God Almighty himself. I shall be as God is your mantra. Dethrone the one true God and replace him with yourself. Even if that means taking the God-man in the flesh, Jesus, and killing him. To take what we want as our own. Deity. Deity. Such idolatry. You, me, Ahab, Jezebel. We all share in this sin equally. We're all guilty as charged. And so we all need to repent before it's too late, before the eternal judgment befalls us. So it's time to repent and believe, to turn from sin, to die to it, and to turn to Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross.
He will not steal from you and me, but to give himself completely for your sake, to become the bearer of sin on the cross, to take every bit of sin upon himself. His sacrifice is the only one that turns away God's wrath from you as a sinner. On that Good Friday, <coughs> on that Good Friday, and he alone endured God's eternal wrath that you deserved because of your sin. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for you. For you. On the cross, Jesus took and absorbed all your sin in his body. He endured all its punishments. He endured death and damnation. His divine blood spilled and shed on the cross purifies you from all sin. Now you are forgiven. Now you are redeemed. By his death, Jesus gives you back your humanity. He has good use for you. You are now his instruments in this world for good. He has put you where you are for the good of your neighbor, to help others to improve and protect their possessions and income, all in the name of Jesus. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>